You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Bible, Hosea chapter 14 tonight. Thank you, Brother Jackson, for that good song. It's a good song because it was about a good topic. And thank God for Jesus. You can't exhaust that. He's greater than whatever it is. Thank God for that good song. Welcome to night number one of our unscheduled impromptu revival meeting. That's what I prayed at least. Wouldn't that be good? If God just did something tonight and we thought, we've got to do that again tomorrow night. And the night after that. And the night after that. You know God can do something like that. I mean, we just show up, a run-of-the-mill, regular Wednesday, and then God just mess everything up, and we just got to keep going. That'd be okay with me. And uh, I promise you this, I'm as tired or more than you are, and I want God to do something anyhow. I got up this morning and got on an airplane that's about the size of a uh, scooter, I think, and uh, rode that thing for, it would have been a three-hour drive as a 45-minute flight. And it's funny because the man flying it, he's, he, he's uh, going into a- aviation missions, but he's retired from the Marine Corps and then the Army. He was a pilot. And we were flying together. He said, you want to fly this thing? I said, yeah. And he said, all right, you've got the controllers. And I grabbed it. He goes, I'll do it. <laughs> and that's all it took. Like a split second, he took it back from me. I mean, I, you know, on an airplane, when you, when you pull it, it's just opposite of whatever you think it is. But anyway, I'm glad to be here tonight. That was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Other than when my mother-in-law gave me a hug after I got married. (laughs) That's the the second scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Hosea chapter number 14. We're going to read the entire chapter, so just stay seated tonight. And we'll just stay in this chapter for the entire message. We'll go through it uh, this evening. This has become one of my favorite chapters, I think, in the Bible. And uh, I wasn't all that familiar with it, just probably like you're not, because I'm not all that familiar with where Hosea was until just the other day. But I was reading through it and came to chapter 14, and it's a great chapter. And I'm praying God will use it to be an encouragement to our hearts tonight. Let's read it together. Verse number 1, the Bible said, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not, by the way, that's the same as Assyria. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree. And his smell is Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, and by the way, when Hosea mentions Ephraim, he's referring to the entire ten tribes of the northern kingdom collectively. But Ephraim shall say, what have I to do anymore with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree, for me is thy fruit found Who is wise, and he shall understand these things, prudent, and he shall know them, for the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. If you study the entirety of the book of Hosea, you'll find that it is very negative. In fact, every chapter in Hosea is negative until you get to chapter number 14. 
There are little breaks in the canopy of darkness, if you will, where the light can break through. But overall, it's very dark all the way through the book of Hosea. God's people have sinned. God's people are wrapped in idolatry. They've made idols unto their abominations. They've strayed from God. He sums it up by saying that they have backslidden. They were still God's children. They hadn't lost that relationship, but they had, in fact, disrupted that fellowship with God. What I love about God, though, is that God never ends on negative. God always ends on positive. God takes us from darkness to light. God takes us from law to grace. Amen. God takes us from a child of the devil to a child of the king. That's just God's nature. He doesn't leave man without hope. He always leaves us with grace, with hope. And that's what we find in Hosea chapter 14. God leaves the welcome mat out at the front door of his house for his rebellious people. And basically it's summed up in the third word of the text where he says, return. After all of this, in spite of everything that you've done, I still like you to come back to me. That's a good God, isn't it? For a little while this evening, I want to preach on this thought. Hosea's promise to the prodigal. Hosea's promise to the prodigal individual. And it's also a promise to a prodigal nation. And I'm glad as long as there's breath in your body, it's never too late to come home and get right with God. Let's pray tonight. God, I pray you'd help me as I preach. I pray that you'd give me understanding in this text. I pray you'd help uh, the people to see it as well. And I pray if anybody's here who's away from you tonight, I pray that we'd have that desire to come home. I pray for our nation, God. I pray for an awakening in our nation and revival in our churches. In Jesus' name, amen. A long time ago, at least a long time ago uh, to me, probably 14 years ago, I was preaching a revival meeting in North Carolina. And the first few days of that meeting went really well. I mean, just went great. People were saved and the church uh, was having people, having, having people added unto it. And because of that, I was supposed to finish on a Wednesday night. A man came on that Wednesday night. He's wearing overalls. And I remember his name, but I won't mention him. But anyway, he came that night, and he heard me preach on Wednesday night. And he came up to me and said, you got to stay. He said, you can't go back. He said, we need you to stay here. And I said, well, there's only one problem with that. I said, I don't have any way to stay here. I said, I don't have any money or anything. He pulled, he pulled I think it was $300 out of the top pocket in his overalls, handed it to me, and said, get you a hotel room for at least three more nights, and let's see what God will do. I was excited. Excited, man. I was in an extended revival meeting. I thought, God is blessed. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. You know what God did the next night? Nothing. It was horrible. I wish I was at the house. It was, it was the worst meeting probably I'd ever been in my life. I went back the next night. You know what happened? Twice as horrible as the night before. Nothing happened. It was like plowing through mud. It was deader than a hammer. It was like it was like here on Wednesday night, but it was just dead in there. And it just, I, I couldn't, I thought about quitting the ministry and running for political office. It was horrible. Went back on the last night and preached, and about the same reaction. It was like preaching to an oil painting of people. You know, they just stared at me, and uh, nothing took place. During the sermon, though, toward the end, a man walked in the back with long hair, camouflage jacket. He looked like Willie Nelson. He just came and sat in the back of the church there, and, and I, he watched me as I preached. I thought, hallelujah, there's a sinner here tonight. Maybe he'll get saved. I gave the invitation, and sure enough, that fellow got up and began to walk down the aisle, and I thought, good night, he's going to get saved. He came down the aisle before he could. The preacher met him there uh, at the altar and began to hug him and kiss him on the cheek. I was like, what in the world? I mean, this preacher loves sinners. His wife was in a wheelchair. She kicked that thing into fifth gear, laid rubber on the carpet, came around, and man, she began to hug the fellow as well. And I thought, man, this church really loves sinners. A whole group of people from the back got up weeping and came, and they began to hug that man. I thought, it is creepy how much this church loves sinners. 
I went down there. The preacher said, I got to tell you what the story is. I said, I already know this man got saved. He said, no, he didn't. I said, well, what's the big deal then? He said, this guy grew up in our church. He got saved when he was in the youth group. He got out of church. We haven't seen him since. And he gave a testimony. He said, I was just driving by. He said, I saw the church light on on a Friday night and thought I'd just swing in to see folks. He said, as I sat back there, he said, while you preach, and this is what he said. He said, God rang my bell. And he said, I decided it is time to come home and get right with God. I tell you, I love it when a sinner gets saved. But second to that, I love it when a prodigal comes home and gets restored. A prodigal is one who is saved, but they've strayed from the will of God. They're one who is in the family, but they've disrupted their fellowship with the father. Now, I know what you're thinking. A prodigal is one with a beer in his hand or a, a joint in his lips or he's sitting in a jail cell, but not necessarily. No two prodigals are the same. Every prodigal is different. But while every prodigal is different, the promise to the prodigal is the same regardless. You can always come home and you'll be welcomed back at the father's house. Being a prodigal does not have anything to do with your physical location. It has everything to do with your spiritual condition. You can be in the house of God and a million miles away from the heart of God. But the promise is the same. The welcome mat is extended, the light is on, and the father stands at the window waiting for his child to come home. Hosea's name means God is salvation. Or, oh God, save us. I like Hosea because he's a country preacher. I'd like to be one of those when I grow up. He's a country preacher. Whenever you study his prophecy, he uses that which is natural to teach us about the supernatural. He's included in that group of preachers or prophets that we call minor prophets. But don't mistake it. Though he's called a minor prophet, he carries a major message. The subject of the prophecy is summed up in an allegory. God has his preacher marry a woman who was unfaithful, is unfaithful, and proves to remain unfaithful. The Bible calls her a wife of whoredoms, but God uses that to illustrate the way his people had played the part of a spiritual adulterer and left the love of their God. I like what Hosea does. His wife betrays him. She's abused and used by strange men. She finds herself on the auction block about to be sold a slave to the lust of the flesh, and God instructs Hosea to go to where she is and to buy her back. Can I say that's exactly what God did for you and I when he saved us from hell. We strayed from God. We fell into sin, but I'm glad the Savior didn't leave us there. But thank God he came and ransomed us and he bought us back. Now this, bu this book pictures God's desire for the future of the nation of Israel, but it also gives us God's desire for his people today. The bulk of this book is very black. It's very bitter. It emphasizes wrath and it emphasizes judgment. It's a warning to Israel and it's a warning to the individual. As I studied it and I listened to the audio version on the plane today, wave after wave crashes upon the coast of Israel, if you will, of the judgment of God. Chapter 1 through chapter 13, it is negative, it is dark, it is judgment, it is wrath, it is threatenings. If you study it out, chapter 1 through 13 are like briars or thorns on the stem of the scripture. 
But when you come to chapter 14, we find a blossom at the end of the stem. And God leaves us with that fragrance of his favor before he closes out this book. Now in chapter 14, we find the Psalm of Hosea's sermon. If you read this chapter, it's full of poetry. It's full of pictures and it's full of prophecy. It's a chapter of pleading. It's a chapter of promise, and it's a chapter of personal responsibility. Now, you would think that the book has been so negative that surely the last chapter is going to be overly negative. I mean, you know how it is. You run into somebody who's negative. They're just always negative, and they get more and more negative. But that's not how our God works. I said it before. I'll say it again. It is negative, chapter 1 through chapter 13. But God shows up in a positive way to close out the book in chapter number 14. You'll find it. He emphasizes his wrath and his mercy and his justice for sin in the first 13 chapters, but he shows us his grace and his love and his mercy that he shows to his prodigal nation in chapter number 14. And let me say, that's just like our God. That's why Hosea's name is so appropriate. Save us, O God. It's just in his nature to step in and be the Savior. And this chapter, the ground is rich in mercy. The message is rich in grace. And though darkness has fallen for 13 chapters, the light breaks through in chapter 14. Now in chapter 14, you'll see two things. You'll find the depth of man's depravity, man's sin, and man's rebellion. But it's matched with the measure of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy for rebellious man. I want you to hear this statement. God is prone to love his children. But man is prone to leave his God. And the problem is this. If you read the book of Luke and go to chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal, which parallels in a converse way Hosea chapter 14, there's a word mentioned there several times, and it's mentioned in Hosea 14 several times. That little word, I. In the prodigal story, I is usually in reference to the prodigal. That's always what produces a prodigal. It is a pride problem that pulls the prodigal to the far country. The prodigal became a prodigal because he's wrapped up in him. Himself. The prodigal thinks about himself and strays. But here that word I refers to the father over and over again. Isn't that amazing? While the prodigal thinks about himself, God is thinking about the prodigal. And though Hosea's people had strayed and committed sin, God extends the olive branch and calls them to come back. Now let's break down this chapter and let's look at it together. First I want you to notice a plea or the plea to return. In verse number one it begins, O Israel, look at the next word. It says, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, so we will render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us, will not ride upon horses, neither will we say anymore to the work of our hands, ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. It's amazing. There's so much good contained in the chapter, but it all hinges on them obeying this initial command of God, that third word of that first verse where he says, return. Now you're here tonight, and maybe you're not a prodigal in your heart. Maybe you are. But God's plea for you and I is this, when we stray, it is to return. It's 
to come back to a place where you once were. It's to get back to a spot that you used to enjoy. It's to rekindle a fire that used to burn. It's to renew a fellowship that you used to have. And God says, Israel, though you've sinned and though you've strayed and though you've sunk deep in the mire, I wish you'd come back to me. I see that like a billboard from heaven. I'm talking about neon lights, big letters, bold font. God says, you've wandered far from me, but you're still welcome to come home. Now, I want you to notice what it says. I want you to see what it says. He said, oh, Israel, return. Notice the who of the return. He said, return on to the Lord. I like this, and this is where most of us get it wrong, me included. We want to get right, but we don't want to get right with God. We want to get right with the church or right with the class or right with our choir place or right with our personal conviction or right with a member of a clergy or something like that. But that's not what he says. He's not saying you've strayed from a position. He's not saying you strayed from a practice. He's not saying you strayed from a possession. He said you strayed from a person. And if you want to get right, it's not come back to church. It's not come back to preacher. It's not come back to a place of service. It is you get back to the feet of Jesus Christ and you lay yourself there and you get right with him. It's not the church you hurt when you stray. It's not the class you hurt when you stray. It's not the choir you hurt when you stray. It's not the man you hurt when you stray. It's the heart of the father that breaks over his prodigal. I like what the the prodigal said in Luke 15. He said, I will arise. He had enough of the hog pen. He had enough of the husk. He had enough of the hollowness of the far country. And he said, it's about time I get up and get out of this place. But he didn't just say, I'll arise and go back to the farm. He didn't say, I'll arise and go back to the fatted calf. He didn't say, I'll go back to that uh, the robe that'll be draped on my shoulders. He said, I think I'll arise and go back to my father. He was so good before. He met every need before. And if I'm going to get right, I got to get right with him. There's the who of it. Now the how. Look at verse number two. Take with you words and turn to the Lord and say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calms of our lips. Here it is, the how. There's contrition, there's confession, and there's consecration. What is that? When a prodigal comes home to get right, here's what they acknowledge. God is right and I am wrong. God is holy and I am sinful. God is good and uh, I am bad. God is perfect and I'm the one who messed up. And he said, here's what I want you to do. Take with you words. He's talking about confess your sin. Saying to him, take away all iniquity. He's talking about getting right with God. He said, receive us graciously. That last phrase is so so beautiful the way it's it's worded. So will we render the calves of our lips. You study Hosea. They'd been offering calves on the altar of idols and now they said, we're not going to give God a calf. We're going to give God the praise of our lips. We're going to go back to him and say, God, you've been good in our life. I just want to thank the Lord. I just want to brag on it that he take the time to give me such blessings that fill up my life. And when a prodigal gets right, that's how they get right. They come back to the Father. They lay themselves down at his feet. They don't look up. They look down in the dirt, lift their hands to the heavens and say, I was wrong and you were right. I sinned and you didn't sin. God, you're worthy and I'm not worthy. Thank God the who and the how. And here's the why in verse number three. Asher shall not save us. Assyria, that's the type of the world. We'll not ride upon horses. Israel was commanded not to add to themselves horses for military battle. That's a type of the flesh. To the work of our hands, either they said, that's religion, formality, and say, ye are our gods, for in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. Here's why the prodigal comes back. He just realized the world leaves me empty, and the flesh has failed me. 
and religion doesn't get it done. I got to have more than just the hollowness of formality, the empty and sh- emptiness of the world and the shallowness of my flesh. God, I've been left on empty. And that's exactly what happens when a prodigal gets ripe. It's when they understand that every bottle has a bottom and every relationship will have its end and money one day will run out. But thank God Jesus never fails and they get sick of the hollow and the empty feeling that the world provides. And they think, boy, my father had enough to spare. No man cares for me in this hog pen. And they arise and they go back. Why? Because they get put on empty. You'll not get right with God till you understand you're wrong and there's no satisfaction in this world. All right, so there's the plea to return. Now let's look at the promise of restoration. I like this, verse four through seven. I'll heal their backsliding. I'll love them freely. That's a good statement. For mine anger is turned away from him. I will be, and I like that word be, it's a continual commitment. I'll be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. So here it is. God says in verse number four, you've backslid, but he answers their backsliding with blessing. That's exactly how our God is. I like the song, the primitive quartet saying, he's been better than good to me. And that's the truth of the matter. I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve his grace but he always meets my shortcomings with his supply and thank God he meets backsliding with blessing and he says if you'll return I can restore you. I want you to notice four things about the restoration. Number one notice his ability. Look what he said in verse four. I will heal their backsliding. Can you imagine that? He's saying I'll take a broken heart and I'll put it back together. I'll take a shattered life and I'll put it back together. I'll take the scars and I'll wipe the scars away. I'll take the dirt and wipe it off of you. I'll take the stench and make you clean. I don't. I can't take a heart that's broken and make it over again. But I know a man who can. Some call him Savior, the Redeemer of all men. But I call him Jesus, and he's my dearest friend. Can I say you won't get put back together at an AA meeting? You won't get put back together out on the street someplace. You won't get put back together on the couch of your shrink. But I'm glad our God can take a broken life. He can take a shattered life. He can take a life in pieces, and he can put it back together. Thank God I know a man who can his ability then his affection. Look what he says, I'll love them freely. I like that. You know why? Because usually when you do somebody wrong and come back, they love you with stipulation. They love you with condition. They love you with a bar that you have to reach up to. They love you until you mess up again. I'm glad God doesn't do that. Here's what he says. He said, you can get right. He said, I don't care how far down you've gone. I don't care how far out you've sailed. I don't care how long it was that you ran away from me. When you come back, you won't be a redheaded stepchild. That's probably politically incorrect. You you won't be second class. You won't be bottom shelf. I won't treat you like a stray dog running the streets of this city. No. He said, you won't have to eat crumbs at my table. I'll get you a seat at the Father's table. I'll put a robe on your back and shoes on your feet, a ring on your finger, and some beef in your belly. Say amen right there. He said, I'm going to love you like you never left. Isn't that a good thing? Aren't you glad God doesn't love a prodigal like they were a prodigal that got right, but he loves a prodigal like they never left his feet, like they never left his side. And tonight, if that would be you, or if that is me, and we need to get close to God, you don't have to come back and sit there and look over your shoulder. You don't have to worry about yesterday. Don't hang your head over the past. He will love you freely. 
his ability, his affection. I like this, his adequacy. His adequacy. Look what it says in verse number four. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger is turned away from him. Now the first few words of verse five, I will be as the dew unto Israel. Now I, could, I wanted to preach a whole message just on that. But that statement tells us God provides, God produces, God preserves, God purifies, God protects. God works silently, God works in the shadow, and God works on schedule. I don't know if you know much about dew out here. We don't have enough humidity to make it. Where I come from, it's 105% humidity. But anyway, we have dew, and it's thick. You know when the dew comes, it comes in the night. You know how dew comes? It comes quietly. But can you imagine there in the setting of Hosea, the Bible referred to them earlier as having their heart like fallow ground. That means it was arid. Their heart was hard. It was like a desert region. It was like a place with no water. Here's what God is saying. God is saying that as vital as the dew is to the ground, that's how vital I will be in your life just as necessary. I can flood your fallow ground. He said, I am sufficient. I am adequate to meet the need. I think about this whole morning by morning, new mercy. Mercies I see, and that's how the dew works. It's there every single day. He said, I'll be as the dew. He's saying, I'll be good to you today. I'll be good to you tomorrow. I'll be good the day after that. You'll find grace today. You'll find grace tomorrow. You'll find grace after that. I'll give you mercy today and mercy tomorrow and mercy after that. I'll give you blessing today and blessing tomorrow and blessing after that. And here's what the prodigal understands. The husks don't really cut it, and the hog pen doesn't really cut it, and the man in the far country doesn't really cut it and thank God if I come home I can get everything I need and then some my father is adequate God is saying I'll be as the do he's saying every day whatever you need I can supply it my grace is sufficient for thee every day you have a battle every day I've got a benefit every day you got a temptation every day I got some grace every day you got a storm every day I got deliverance every day you got a task every day I got some touch every day you got a tear every day I've got some comfort every day you have care every day I can get calm. Every day you have a prayer. Every day I've got an answer on time, all the time, every time. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's the dew that makes the lily of the valley bloom. It's the dew that makes the rose of Sharon fragrant. It's the dew that makes the olive produce its fruit. It's the dew that makes the cedar grow into the heavens. It's the dew that gets the job done. He said, I'll be as the due to you. You can't convince a Christian that Jesus isn't sufficient. Somewhere along the way, the prodigal lets the devil mess with their mind and make them feel like they're not getting what they deserve. You're right, you're not. If you got what you deserve, you'd be in hell with your back broke, smoking like wet wood in a wildfire right now. Say amen right there. You get better than you deserve. And God meets the need every day. He's adequate. His ability... His affection, then think about this, his abundancy. Look at verse 5. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. By the way, when you read your Bible and find things that don't make sense to you, understand this, they make sense to God and they're there for a reason you need to study. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. He's saying, I'm going to give you, so you're going to be fruitful. Jesus said, I came to give life and that more, what? Abundantly. The prodigal understands, man, I'm not just getting, 
welcomed back. He's not just saying, I saved your room for you. When that prodigal came home in Luke 15, they threw a party for him. He got more than he ever imagined. Here's what he's saying. You'll be like the lily. That picture's purity. You'll be like the cedar of Lebanon. That picture's stability. If there's one thing a prodigal does not enjoy, it's stability in their life. You ever ran into somebody, <clears throat> I always used to say, ever run into me at Walmart, but we don't really do that around here. We go to other places, but Walmart back home is where everybody went. We run into somebody who used to be in church and they got out. And you run into them and their life's a mess. You know, they used to look like a, you know, just like you'd think a, a child of God. And, and you can just look at their, their face. It's just there's, their countenance has fallen. Their life's a mess, marriage a mess, kids a mess, lost or whatever. Just the way of a transgressor is hard. And you say, how you doing? And they'll say, I'm doing great. I'm freer than I've ever been. You look at them, they're more in bondage than they've ever been. And I tell you what a prodigal does not enjoy, stability. But here's what the Lord says to Israel. If you come back, I'm going to make you pure and I'm going to make you stable. But then he said, you're going to be like the olive tree. That picture is beauty. But you think about it, an olive tree is not beautiful at all. It's ugly. You ever seen an olive tree before? They're twisted up. Their leaves are, are, are a dull color of green. The bottom is, is a silvery color. They're ugly. They, they're, not, they're not tall. They're not majestic. They don't have any kind of flower or anything like that. They're ugly. But here's the reason why God equates it with beauty, because of the fruit that it bears. And I'll tell you what makes you and I a sweet savor to our Father. It's not you and it's not me, but it's the fruit He produces through our life. Amen. The fruit of an olive tree is an what, class? Apple, right? No, an olive. Very good. An olive. You know what they used the olive for, right? They crushed it and used it to make light. God is saying, if you'll come back to me, I'll use you to be a light in your generation. Isn't that amazing how God could take someone who's strayed so far in the darkness and pull some light out of them? That's his promise of restoration to a prodigal. Number one, the plea. He says, just return. Here's the promise. I'll give you my ability. I can heal you. My affection, I'll love you freely. My adequacy, I'll be like the dew. My abundancy, I'll make you fruitful. I'll give you favor. You'll be in my shadow. You'll have spiritual life. You'll be a savor that is pleasing to the Lord. And lastly, there's a personal responsibility, verse 8 and 9. In verse number 8, he begins with that word Ephraim. Ephraim, I said, refers to the entirety of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of, uh, that made up the northern kingdom of Israel. And then he mentions this word, what have I to do anymore? This is Ephraim speaking here. What have I to do anymore with idols? I have heard him and observed him. Ephraim, God's referring to this collective group of ten tribes as an individual, saying, you know what, after experiencing what I've experienced with God, I don't want anything to do with idols anymore. That's amazing because you read later, he had joined himself unto idols. I mean, his lips, he had kissed his idols. They exalted and worshipped and loved their idols. But once he realized how empty and shallow, how hollow, how horrible it was to be away from God, and when God announced what he would do if he'd come, he said, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. It's amazing. The, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying don't ever do it. If you want to go to a, a rehab for something, you go. But I tell you what, it really helps somebody's revival. I still believe there's enough power in the Word of God, in the Holy Spirit of God, that a drunk could walk an aisle, get right with God, and not be a drunk. Amen. A dope addict could walk an aisle, get down here and get right with God, and not be a dope addict anymore. Could change their life. 
but it's a personal responsibility. He said, who, in verse number 9, who is wise and he shall understand these things? And here's the key. He said, I want you to get back to the, look at that phrase, the ways of the Lord in verse number 9. And that's why the prodigal had to say it. I will arise and go to my father. The phrase before that said, he came to himself. This is a plea to a prodigal nation. If ever there was a prodigal nation, it would be our nation. America was founded on <clears throat> Judeo-Christian values. Not all of our founders were Christians, though. Amen. Everybody all right? They weren't all Bible-believing Baptists or anything like that. But we do have a Christian tinge to our history, at least. Our nation's wandered far off that track that we started on. But I still believe, if I didn't believe it, why would we even waste our time tonight if we didn't believe this? I still believe that God could do something to, we sing this song, turn the tide in America. But it starts with return. Same thing in our heart. Now listen to me. You don't have to be on a bar stool to be a prodigal. And you don't have to be in a jail cell to be a prodigal. And you don't have to be missing church and just show up on Christmas and Easter to be a prodigal. You can be in the choir, teaching a class, preaching in a pulpit, sitting in a pew, wearing a Sunday dress or a shirt and tie on a Wednesday night. And only crazy people would ever do that. I never wore a shirt and tie until I was to preach. I'm almost against it. I'm glad this isn't online or anything. But anyway, I'm kidding. Just calm down. I'm not against it. I am against it, but I had to cover my tracks. But that doesn't make me right with God. Amen. I could be doing this and be just as far away from God as the man who's out there in a ditch somewhere tonight who's a Christian living in this world. If that's you tonight, God is saying this, the welcome mat is out, the light is on, and he's standing at the ready to welcome you home. I believe before the prodigal even saw the father, the father saw the prodigal. And he ran and fell on him. Amen and kissed him. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.